Expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with new abolitionist and actionist Johanna Nalaya, and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who have combated. Today is October 12, 2016, and the abolitionist movement seems to have ignited a fire. We have a lineup of stories available for you tonight that we'll be discussing. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad will be provided later this evening, and our abolitionist in profile will be provided by Scotty Reed. Uh, broadcasting live here from Greenville, South Carolina at my daughter's house today, so I'm a little off kilter, forgive me. What's happening, Scotty? Hey, what's going on, Max? Uh, Greetings to you and your family, and especially uh, your daughter, being that I know what she's going through with that illness, so hey, I'm just just, uh, keeping your family in my prayers, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Uh, The uh, surgery was a success. Uh, they took out most of her shoulder and replaced it with titanium, and they checked for cancer right there and then uh, in the other bones and said they didn't find any. But she still has got four to six months more of chemo to go, and then we'll be you know praising God, and hoping that we're out of the water at that point. You know what I mean? It's good oh, by to the way, hear I need to say during my greeting that if you want to join our conversation this evening, the number is one six four one seven one five three six six zero, and the access code is five four nine zero three two pound. Just press star six and one to queue up from the conference line. Is Brother Johanna with us as well, Scotty? I'm here with y'all. Peace, peace. What's can that, you hear bro? me? <laughs> I can hear you, man. What's happening, bro? Well, oh, it's good to hear your voices, man. It's like you yeah. know that. Uh, little pond of sanity in the world of craziness that's going on, you know? <laughs> right, right. I feel the same way. Likewise, my brother, it's good to hear from you. I know uh, both of you have been have been through the storm literally since we uh, since we last spoke. Um, and I uh, got family and friends uh, throughout that area, Rocky Mount area, Coastal Carolinas area, Roanoke Rapids, uh, all up and through. Yeah, I'm not that, in uh, that part. still underwater. Water. I'm not. I'm not in. Right, I'm in right, Western right. North Carolina, Southwestern. So we were spared, but Max wasn't so right. lucky. 
Yeah, we got trapped yeah, in Max, the city Max for a couple days without power, but nothing compared to a lot of my friends who are still without power in some places. It's crazy, man. Um, it has been rough. But it's been rougher for another person that we speak of more than a few times here on New Abolitionist Radio, and I would like to uh, send my condolences out to the family of Brooklyn District Attorney Kenneth Thompson, who died Sunday at uh, yeah. 50 years of age. He was also one of the people speaking in the 13th, and he's personally responsible for helping at least 19 people get their freedom who were unjustly incarcerated. Your condolences to to the Williams family up there in New York. He was certainly doing abolitionist work. It was definitely a difficult job, as we saw, um, with the negotiation that he was politically forced into with that um, Asian-American officer who killed uh, Akai Gurley. I know he took a lot of heat for that, but we talked about that on this program. But at times, though, you have to take a realistic view. Okay, are we going to trash this man because he agreed to a plea bargain with this guy? The guy did admit to what he did, but, you know, agreed to this plea bargain where he would do no prison time. That's not justice. That's not justice. But in order for him to maintain his position, which is elected position, when you're a politician, sometimes you have to make those sort of decisions so that you can keep doing the abolitionist work that you were engaged in. So again, I'm not trying to justify or say it was right. It certainly wasn't justice, but at the same time, I'm understanding that he may have had to make that compromise in order to continue to run um, the um, the uh, underground. Well, I wouldn't say it was underground, but the uh, you know, Freedom Railroad th- that was running through his office when he was alive. Indeed, man. Indeed. Uh, there is a, a great story from the Daily News about him as well that told, tells some of those things that people don't know. <clears throat> I was on a radio program last out, last night, as a matter of fact, and uh, shout out to my fan from Real Talk. And uh, they were kind of, you know, talking about the Akai Gurley case and what Ken Thompson had done and I had to point out to them that there was some very good things that he had done so he had a balance and he had to keep it I don't agree with what he did none of us I don't think agree with it but we understand what he got for it 19 people walking free today anyway uh, I just wanted to give that shout out to his family and his wife's and wife and uh, rest in peace brother indeed R.I.P. We lost two, man. We lost. Uh, we are. We had discussed on the program last year in the in the uh, or rather for the uh, 2014 voting season, we had lost Craig Watkins. So these brothers seem to be getting about two years, and then they either got to step down. And Craig Watkins down in Dallas is still going through hell. They running his name through the mud, trying to find all kind of deep business dealings. They saying he, he ain't right and said he got domestic violence issues and trying to find out if he got a drinking problem. I mean, he keeps coming out saying that he's not guilty of any of these things, but they just keep trying to throw stuff at him so it'll stick to his name. And it just, it saddens me when I think about our people and how we kind of don't open our eyes to well, I guess what they call the bigger picture sometimes. Um, to see the the to see the playing field for what it really is, um, it's sad. I mean, these 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 are people that literally have put their lives on the line because if the entire system, we all seem to agree, there's a system 
of white supremacist racism uh you know imperialist tyranny going on i mean we have all these these negative images and all this negative uh, connotation for the powers that be that rule over us and we and we equate them with evil we equate that with darkness with with uh, with mean spiritedness so when you find individuals that will raise their hand that will stand up that will that will take a platform that will put their name out there that will put their lives on the line to get other people free to get other people get some light shined into darkness to end suffering somehow it would seem like we would understand the weight of that sacrifice but like Scotty was saying like you were saying with the with the Peter Liang case I mean that's one thing that happened and we understand that the man is playing a political game and we discussed that on this program with, with Craig Watkins with uh, Craig Watkins there was issues that was going on in Dallas that were small issues that the people in Dallas got convinced they didn't want him to be in that office but in the meantime he created one of the original conviction integrity units and got dozens of people out of prison down there too we're talking about cities where, where these cities are spending 15, 20 million dollars a year paying off police abuse settlements year in, year out you can't tell me that there's not just ultimate value in these people getting people out of prison when you're spending that many millions for the people that they left alive that stayed free, that they just beat the hell out of them, that they killed some of them, that they raped them, that they kidnapped them, that they robbed them of their civil rights, of their constitutional rights. When people are getting those kind of millions and they're still alive, then you got these ones that they snuck off into prisons illegally. They're not even guilty of anything. I mean, I just wish we could give these people their due and not have to run them through the mud. I mean, I, I just, it's amazing to me that we're this damn ignorant. And you know, uh, Ken died quickly. He was just diagnosed just last spring. It's like he got hit with a cancer gun. Just last spring he was diagnosed, and now a year later he just passed away. That polonium drop, man, it take a grain of sand in your pocket. Mm. Well, there's some serious stuff going on in the world today, man. And like I said earlier, I kind of feel like that we have ignited a fire across the country now. We watched it unfold moment by moment and day by day and recorded it right here on New Abolitionist Radio as things started expanding, recently culminating with the 13th release, as well as the Nate Parker movie, uh, simultaneously on the very same day. And the 13th has really sparked a lot of conversations all over the place. Uh, I was just... Thanks to Brother Yusuf Hussain, I was uh, just in contact with the Lawyers Guild out in Rutgers University in New Jersey, and they're going to do a screening of the 13th next week. And uh, we were talking about me coming down there and maybe uh, speaking to those uh, gathered attorneys, young attorneys. Hey, did um, you guys happen to catch uh, my Black Talk radio commentary today? Um, I, I spoke about the second presidential, the establishment candidates presidential debate Sunday night and Hillary Clinton mentioned the 13th Amendment and Abraham uh, Lincoln and saying how this was the question. Um, she was asked a question from, I guess, the listener audience or somebody, you know, might have sent it in and said, is it OK for a politician to be two faced it? Is it okay for them to have a private view? So in other words, is it okay for them to say publicly that I'm in private prisons, but then behind the scenes and emails to 
uh, 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 private prison donors to the campaign or whatnot. She's saying, oh, I'm just saying that so I can become president. But don't you worry. We're going to give you time and slow things up so that you can transition to the uh, next stage of slavery, whatever form that's going to take, which we talked about last week, I think, with the home detention and what have you so so uh she was asked that question and so she was like and and so again this also ties into something the lotus place gonna be talking about tonight um these films so-called quote-unquote historical films that leave a lot of the facts out and even put in some fiction and so she gonna mention uh, Steven Spielberg's 13th and she brought that up that was her answer was that see I watched Abraham Lincoln in the 13th and the master job he did and see he told he had one argument for those who who did not want to end slavery and, and for the ones that did want to end slavery he had a different argument but he just told them what they needed to hear in order to get the 13th amendment passed and so I'm like, okay, she just took that all out of context, but it's interesting that she thought of Lincoln in the 13th Amendment when talking about a two-faced politician. So so, um, so the next day, right, Alex Jones, the man who worshipped who, uh, worship, um, at the altar of the white supremacists and slavers like Washington and Jefferson and that crowd, the uh, Francis Scott Keys and, and you know the slavers anthem so Alex Jones is attacking her and as well as some other right wing media oh how dare you use honest aid to defend your lies so they wrong too they wrong too there's nothing honest about Abraham Lincoln and I think that we have shown over the years just you know when we've talked about the 13th in the history behind it and Lincoln's role in modern slavery that you know everybody still is believing in the myth but this man gave some great anti-slavery speeches out there on the stump when he was a congressman and giving speeches to abolitionist groups you know they had little parties or whatnot like they have today and, and the people with the influence and whatnot so he would tell them everything they wanted to hear while writing private letters to the Georgia congressman uh, Mr. Stevens I forget his first name uh, and telling him oh tell the other people in the south forget what you heard I'm not about to mess with you or your slaves this is in the letter I just pulled up the letter and saved the image of it to my hard drive yesterday so he so that, that that's a two-faced politician telling different people different things that mean totally opposite so I thought that was yeah, interesting I thought that was interesting and, and but neither Hillary Clinton nor Alex Jones really seems to know the real Abraham Lincoln. This is something that we covered on the program when uh, we had a clip of Obama speaking to the uh, college students and saying the same thing. <laughs> he was basically saying the same thing as what you just said and what Hillary alluded to as far as Lincoln being two-faced in that very specific manner. Yes, if I was at my uh, home office, I could share the video with new abolitionist radio viewers so they could see it himself, themselves where uh, Obama sat there in front of a group of students and explained how he reads the, third, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation behind his desk every day, and it did not free the slaves, and went into detail about how Lincoln betrayed all blacks 
And that if it happened today, the Huff Post would be like headlines, Lincoln betrays blacks. I mean, he knows, she knows. The, the people at the top know exactly what's going on, and they're exploiting the hell out of us. And Lincoln, in his letters to Douglas at one point, said, the only difference between us here in the North and you in the South is that you think slavery should be a right available to all. Anybody should have a slave. And we in the North think it should be limited. <laughs> so limited to prisons. They were using the exception clause for convict leasing at that time. Well, we know that we are going to be somewhat short on time, so we might as well get into it. I think we kind of already did, just talking about with Ken Thompson leading off. Yeah, uh, yeah. Something that else that... Yeah, something that could be—I was going to say something that could be real quick, Scotty. I saw you had put a link in uh, to the planning page talking about a uh, GO and Corrections Corporation of America having their stocks going up uh, close to ten percent. Um, I looked into that, and again, just to, you know, be brief. I don't want us to, to take too much time, but for people that have been following this, um, what they're basically saying with the, with the stocks going up, these uh, these uh, investment firms. SunTrust in particular uh, has basically just said that that they've bottomed out. That the 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 talk, the propaganda around the uh, the effect that it's going to have on their money, on their profit profitability, is is just too negative. So really, they're saying that you should. They're not saying anything has really changed, but the, the talk is so negative that it's almost too negative for buying the stock to be a real risk. Hey, Johanna, Johanna, so, thank you for that because yeah, uh-huh. when I posted that earlier today, that thought crossed my mind that, well, it mm-hmm. probably went so low, you know, it, I shouldn't read too much into that 10%. Well, it was actually a plus 7% uh, gain, but mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that, you know, it's them bottomed out or, you know, uh, low historically, and that's the case. But I was also thinking, you know, we've been doing this particular program and producing uh, propaganda directed at showing them. Now, I'm not going to say in a bad light, but in their true light. And that true light shows that they involved in slavery, a very evil institution. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm also happy to hear that you mentioned that you said, what is this, SunTrust, that talked about the news, the negative news or propaganda uh, that's mm-hmm. targeting them is having an effect also or it's not going to allow it to go back to what it was before. Yeah, yeah. But this is an interesting side note to that um, is GEO in particular. I found some info today talking about GEO has hired three lobbying firms uh, to help them with specific aspects. You know, they've been looking at, at yeah, they've been looking at uh, uh repealing the protections that these private prison firms get from listing themselves as real estate investment trusts. So that's come up on the state level and on the federal level, this conversation of how can they, that will be one way to cripple them because they're getting away with basically running a tax-free operation. So uh, this is naming the name. So the Florida-based company retained David Olander of Capital Council to lobby on real estate investment trust tax treatment specifically. Then they hired former Senator Jeff Sessions. So here's that back and forth, that revolving mm-hmm. door between the private sector and the public. Jeff Sessions is an aide, uh, will help David Stewart and Ryan Robichaux of Bradley Errant Bolt Cummings, another lobbying firm, 
and they're going to work specifically on federal government usage of contracts with correctional facilities. And then they hired Michael Scrivener and Peter Leone of Scrivener Leone Group, another lobbying firm that's going to be working on private operated correctional facilities specifically as well. Uh, and the last one is uh, a company previously retained by Leo Aguirre of Da Vinci Group and Mark Smith. The Justice Department said in August it's going to stop using private prisons, which have been hounded by complaints of poor conditions and perverse incentives. So they're already putting the money into changing the laws and protecting themselves. And, I mean, there you go. You, you, you see that it's real. <laughs> You know, we've spoken in this in detail before, and I've uh, often said that what they're doing is a controlled demolition. They know that what they have now cannot stand under public scrutiny. It just can't stand. So even in the 13th the new film, you see where this idiot is talking about how they're moving now their ideas and their ventures more into things like healthcare and monitoring systems and uh, uh, probation companies. And we know these probation companies, because we reported on them as well, across the nation are huge, again, multi-billion dollar industries. So they're moving uh, a lot of their work towards after getting out prison, saying they want to help reduce the number of prisoners. What they want to really do is keep monitoring these people and getting paid for that, but monitoring more people to make up for the ones that they're losing from these prisons. Brave New Films did a good, uh, 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 I guess, a video on it, one of their short videos on it. If I can find it, I'll put it on the website. But we knew that in advance. We already knew where they was going with it. They continually morph and change. Right. And, and in, in line with that, the GEO Group uh, is about to build a new world headquarters that they actually will own the building. They had leased the building where they've been in for all these years, and uh, they feel strongly enough about their future that they've actually, uh, you know, already bought the land and have, and have started construction on their own facility, which is also going to hold in the facility another company that they own, the company uh, called BI, which makes the, the ankle bracelets, makes the monitoring equipment. So they acquired BI like some 10, 15 years ago and have nursed that company along and brought it into being what it is now, which is pretty much the de facto manufacturer and distributor of monitoring systems for the probation and parole systems and whatnot throughout the country and really around the world. They sold their property, BI owned in Colorado here in the last couple of weeks. They sold their old building. Everybody's going to be in-house in Boca Raton in the new GEO building next year. So these people are looking at a very lucrative future and all these things we're talking about are, are factors in that as well. The monitoring, the aftercare, like what they say, the treatment industrial complex. After the prison industrial complex falls, the treatment industrial complex. Yes, that's what they're calling it. The treatment industrial complex. So, I uh, mean, let, hey guys, let me, let, let me chime in on that. That wouldn't be, I wouldn't be so upset with the treatment industrial complex if it wasn't a result of forced treatment. So, again, I think that people should be able to get help, that need help, that fall into addiction, but I don't think they should be enslaved for their addiction. So, if they're, if somebody make money off of treating people who want help, I ain't got a problem with that. 
But if you're if this is like court mandated, you got to go or we going to put you in slavery. I don't I don't agree with that. I don't give agree with anything that takes away the free will of the in, individual if they have not did anything to harm another individual aka committing a real crime. Uh, uh, I don't believe in these. They're using victimless crimes to put people in, into slavery. So, um, yeah, but um, treatment, I ain't got a problem with treatment. So I don't know if that's a good um, um, uh, term to use to what they're doing. This is just another refinement of slavery as slavery continues to try to evolve as people keep trying to stamp it out. Well, my my issue with it is just still the predatory nature of it as far as still driving, like we're saying the 13th Amendment exception allows for slavery to continue. So therefore, that's putting a financial incentive on arresting people to put them into the system because if they're convicted of a crime, they can be made slaves. So to trade one aspect of it where maybe they're not behind prison walls enslaved for 25 cents a day to turn around and still have a massive number of people churning through the system being arrested being terrorized being harassed being racially profiled being illegally detained stopped questioned frisked all of these things as a result of generating revenue for the treatment system because it's it's not going to be equitably uh uh measured out in the future any more than it is now, you're still going to have the mass majority of this country's population being white folks, the majority of them being drug addicts, whether it's pharmaceutical or recreational, and not facing any kind of serious, punitive you know, police involvement in, in those affairs, but black folks, Latinos, being the main people that's being policed, being, being patrolled, and, and on and on and on, even if you're talking about people being held in their home uh, in a house arrest with a monitoring system and going through some kind of a treatment program whether it's to get them off drugs or some kind of rehabilitative quote unquote program to pay their debt to society you're still going to be running an inordinate number of bodies through the system to generate revenue I mean it's it's ty- it's kind of like a type of reform to me which as we've talked about I don't know that we need to be trying to reform terrorism yeah, you're, you're right it is it reform it is they're reform they're going from saying we're, in, we're incarcerating them and rehabilitating them to we're treating them now so you went from pr- uh, prison warden to doctor but the people are still in the same cells I just don't think I just don't think the numbers are going to change. I mean, I, and I'm I'm I understand what you're saying, obviously, Scotty. I mean, I think it's way better to be in your home, potentially uh, being monitored or being a part of a system that's not behind the walls where we see. Oh no, that's America not what I was saying, bro. I think you misunderstood oh, okay. me. I said, maybe, if well, this, maybe I did. Yeah, if there's any kind of state enforcement involved in this, I'm talking about treatment. If if it is voluntary. So again, see, this is why they don't want to legalize drugs or any kind of drugs where adults are concerned because they're using that. That's the linchpin for slavery, you know, to put them into that 13th Amendment exception. And and so, but I'm saying... Scotty, it's hard to hear you. Is it me or... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's hard to hear you. It's like an echo and a distortion at the same time. Oh, is it just me? Um, No, I think that was coming off Johannes' line. Uh, so I muted him. So let me start. Let me start over. Um, 
what I was saying is, is Johanna, and I'm not talking about treatment in the way that they talking about. See, they use words that deceive people. So they going, let's not let them label this a treatment program or anything like that. When all we know is further refinement of slavery, that's all it is. So again, but there is a market. I feel like there should be if people want that are hooked on drugs, adults want to, no matter what kind of drug it is, and they go to seek help because they you know, they recognize that addiction is destroying their lives and relationships. So they need help. So I think the government should subsidize those treatment programs and, and pay for that, for voluntary stuff. But, you know, if, if it's a person, if you get, yeah, I, I'm just saying, man, nobody should be enslaved, period. You shouldn't get an ankle monitor on you while you, were, while you go to treatment because you got caught with a crack pipe or something like that and you smoking crack. You ain't done nothing to nobody but yourself. So again, I'm not, I don't, when I think of treatment, I'm thinking about medicine. I'm thinking about the medical aspect. I'm thinking about helping. This ain't helping, just like they were trying to call some of the juvenile prison plantations, trying to call them, um, incorporate with names like, uh, what was it, Pennsylvania Child Care. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. I don't want to let them label this some kind of treatment or no, this is just a refinement of slavery and, and what have you. So that's what, what I was trying to say. So, um, man, I'm missing. Okay. What happened to Max? Okay. There's Max. Okay. Go ahead. Well, the way I'm looking at it like this, Scotty and Johanna, is that CCA and GEO Group and CEC and G4S, these are international companies built on slavery. What they do is warehouse people for pay, and they also hire them out to private contractors to make commercial goods and services sold on open market. Now, here in the United States, we've got this uprising against this type of business to the point where even legislation has been put into Congress that would ban them from functioning within our borders, period. So what they're trying to do, I think, is make themselves look like part of the solution in order to stay solvent here in the United States. But at the same time, they'll still control all of the prisons in Australia. They'll still be uh, providing the largest, uh, the largest private employer in the entire continent of Africa. They'll still be having these same prisons in um, Brazil, some of the most notorious prisons in the world that they are running. So, you know, I, it seems to me like they're just trying to get away with murder. I think personally that these companies should be banned from operating within our borders, period. We should set a precedence so other countries follow suit. You're right, Scotty, that people do need help and care and treatment, but not from the slavers, not from the same people who have been committing crimes against humanity that are now trying to be the heroes of this story. So personally, I, I think that they just need to be, that bill, Justice is Not the Sale Act, which was put into Congress by Bernie Sanders, should be passed, and they should be banned from operating within our borders. They're criminals. They should be facing charges, not getting paid for something else. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll continue on the other side. Thank you. 
Black Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. media for the new millennium. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, I was just saying, to continue uh, what we're talking about with these companies now and they're transitioning, these uh, companies like CCA and Geo Group are so nefarious. For instance, Wack and Huck Correction Corporation, which was the beginning of Geo Group, began with four former FBI agents. They're so infiltrated into our government and our politics that between the years of 2002 and 2012, that single decade, they spent nearly $50 million lobbying doing what Johannes said they just hired four other companies to do, lobbying Congress, basically buying our politicians. They've literally written our laws through ALEC, the American Legislation Exchange Council, where government and business got together. And for two decades, CCA sat on that panel and voted with them and provided them with literal bills that they put through verbatim. At one point, they even had the letterhead from the ALEC organization on the bill while they were in Congress talking about it. Verbatim, having prisons writing our laws. The three-strike laws, the minimum sentencing, their hands were in that. Literally, their hands were in that. They manipulated our, our attorney generals. They manipulated presidents and Congress and senators to make billions and billions of dollars. So they should be facing char- charges of crimes against humanity, slavery and human trafficking, not given another position somewhere in the hierarchy to do something else. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, of course, I agree. <laughs> I thought Scotty might might chime in first, but yeah, of course, I agree. I'm, I, but I don't, and I'm not saying that from a vindictive, you know, vengeful standpoint or what have you. I mean, I would like to see first, of course, slavery actually abolished, over, ended. No more of that incentive. No more of that to to even incentivize doing what's being done to people, the poor, the underrepresented, so forth. But beyond that, somebody's got to pay. And we've heard, uh, you know, the, the the money controllers and decision makers and city managers and treasurers, we've heard these people speak out and say, we just don't have the money to pay for the injustice we've done. Same thing with reparations as a larger issue, you know, for slavery and for, for the sufferations of black folks throughout many, many generations, I mean, from the foundations of this country. So we know that, that a literal payback 
is not likely um, but there would be some form of justice done in seeing the people that benefited from these things that orchestrated these things see this stuff didn't just happen on its own so that's my problem with it it didn't just, just happen organically all this talk of black on black crime and talk about black folks and the crimes and crimes and crimes look this country is criminal the whole setup is criminal so the only way to keep the people from looking at and regarding the larger issue of criminality of white supremacy itself, the premise of America itself, of colonialism itself, of taking over lands and stealing resources and stealing people and on and on and on, all of that, the only way to take attention away from that is to make somebody else more criminal and focus on that. So these people have done all of this for this long. When this ends, yes, I want to see them go to prison. I don't have to see them get raped. I don't have to see them be fed rotten food, mold-covered food, food full of maggots. I don't have to see them enslaved. I don't have to see them put in solitary confinement for 30 years, for 40 years, one hour a week allowed out, 23 hours a day in, one hour out a day, 40 years. I don't have to see that. But sure, I'd like to see them go to prison, definitely. Yes. Most certainly, somebody needs to pay for these crimes, and we have to start See? looking at them as crimes. That's a big problem. We don't look at what's happening to us as a crime. See, speaking um, of crime, yeah, let yeah. me chime in on that too. I agree with Johanna, but see that. Uh, creates a problem with me because I'm still I I hear those who say we need to abolish all prisons, but then I'm like, okay, but there are some people, man, that. I just can't feel that humane towards them as you feeling like we got to come up with some kind of rehabilitation program for these slavers. No, these people need to do time. I agree with Johan and we don't want to want to abuse them like the systems abusing the modern day victims of slavery today. Like Johan, it wasn't exaggerating. We reported stories, maggots in the food, even rat poison in the food. Okay, they've tried to poison some of the leaders of the Free Alabama movement and shout out to the brothers and sisters that's engaged in the strike in the prisons against modern day slavery right now. But um, that's why I can't yet grasp the concept of abolishing prisons because these people, they need to have their, their they just can't have freedom of movement. Okay, I, I, I don't know yeah. where we're going to put them. Um, but some of them, in my opinion, man, is worthy of death. But then again, that causes another problem with me because I don't believe in the death penalty because of them. Because they've been putting so many innocent people to to death, I have to be against the death penalty. But I don't, I don't know if it's absolute proof. Like we got absolute proof on them. Then, man, I like to see them hang from the gallows, dog. I'm, I'm with you, Scotty, and I have had to clarify this issue on a number of occasions. Just yesterday, speaking with Brother Muhaddin Dibaha, who knows exactly what I am, and uh, he was uh, putting together a screening of 13th, and he said, along with me, a couple of other people, he said, these are some great prison abolitionists that I know, and I had to clarify it. I am not a prison abolitionist. Prison is just a part of slavery. I'm a slavery abolitionist. You know, I, I don't believe that, as you just said, that everybody should be let out. There are some crazy sociopathic people who are de deserving of prison. Not prison necessarily as we know it today, but certainly 
should not be mingling with society in any way, shape, or form. But that number is somewhere around 30% of the total that we have right now. Well, I also want to open up the phone lines for uh, anybody that wants to chime in. We're kind of like a free-flowing uh, radio program, and we welcome all opinions, but don't come with no nonsense. Better have your facts straight and be open. Just keep an open mind to what we're saying. I'm, let me extend, extend the olive leaf. Just keep an open mind. Don't call in and, and question what we're saying, because I'm telling you, all three of us, between us three, is years and countless hours of of study. So we know what we're talking about, and the mainstream media is just now catching up to what we've been telling people for four years. So that telephone number is 641-715-3660. The participant code is 549-032-HIT-POUND. And star six and one if you want to uh, jump in on any of these stories that we're talking about. Max? Yeah, I, I have plenty to learn yet every day. I'm learning more and more. So if you got something to share with us, you know, that could enlighten us more, please bring it to us. We would like to know. There's several stories that I did want to cover today as quickly as I can. Uh, three in particular. Uh, I guess I'll go with the fluff first. The first, and I'm calling it fluff because compared to the other two, it's it's a different variety. And what this is, is I'm looking at a picture right now of SAPD motorcycle cops taking a photograph wearing Donald Trump hats. Now, we already know that the police union has endorsed Donald Trump. And we've seen them do things that should not be done. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it's against the law. And that's even been confirmed by retired Detective Ken Williams, who I've been in communication with, that officers aren't allowed to wear such political propaganda while in uniform. Now, it's not so bad. The bad part isn't that, you know, they're wearing a Donald Trump hat, all of these cops, but that they're wearing someone who is a known racist hat. Like, this dude is is a sociopath. He's denigrated every kind of minority you could think, and just recently, uh, women were his latest victims, and it was caught on video. So now you've got these cops running around in Donald Trump hats. So to anybody of color, anybody who's interested in justice, seeing that, the message to us is clear. White supremacy. Negroes, you're going to die if you step wrong. It's, it's just it's terrorism, man. It's straight terrorism. But beyond that, as I said, it's illegal. Uh, what's his name, David Clark, should have never been on a podium at the RNC in uniform. And these cops right here should not be wearing a Donald Trump cap while they're in police uniform holding their guns and all of this. Have you seen that image yet, Scotty? Are you um, on it? Um, I heard something about it. I can't say I saw it. But let me just say this, though. Um, Donald Trump and some of these spinsters are out there trying to say uh, when he talked about sexual assaulting people because he's a powerful white man, billionaire class, and a slaver, and and people trying to chalk that up to locker room talk. Uh, no, you're not going to put that on everybody. Are there some other powerful people and not so powerful people that have that kind of mindset? Yes, but that's the rape culture. 
So, you know, I'm sure a lot of powerful white men like him have, have do the things that he talked about and worse. So I want to get, get sidetracked. But then to hear people like Rudy Giuliani, a former, he's only on TV because he a former federal prosecutor and a former mayor of New York, defend sexual assault. And then to hear, then to hear, I don't know, it has David Clark, the sheriff, up there in Wisconsin, even said anything about it. He should, you know, he made some headlines uh, jumping on a, a drunk dude on a plane coming here to Charlotte and having the dude arrested. You know, both of them were from Wisconsin, but this drunk, this guy who had been drinking was on the plane, black guy, and he recognized David Clark, and he was telling the other people on the plane that who this guy was, and he's not with us, apparently talking about black people, and he's not one of us. And, and Clark got mad, man, and then jumped on the dude and held him down after he had already called the police, and they arrested this guy, man and what have you, but has Clark addressed this, this sexual assault, are any of them talking about the lawsuit Donald Trump has against him for rape, uh, repeatedly raping a 13-year-old girl at uh, uh, rich people's parties in New York that was held by the convicted uh, rapist and, and, and lifelong uh, what do they call it, the um, uh, sexual predators list or whatever, and and so he's convicted. This is people who we get down with. So again, when we see these law enforcement people and anybody that can just look past that, just recognize these are slavers. They, they you know, I would say slavery, which involves sexual assault and so much more worse than that, or or in addition to that. That it does. Uh, I just read about a slave catcher out there. Another slave catcher got arrested for raping somebody. It's in the group, the uh, Slave Catchers Chronicles. That's in btrcommunity.com. Another one out there raping women. So it's multiple victims in this case. So it don't surprise me that these slave catchers are endorsing a Donald Trump. And when you look at the picture, there's twelve heads you can see in the picture. 11 of them are wearing hats and they're all white. There's one brown head turned backwards with a bald head and he is the only one not wearing a Donald Trump hat. Hmm. Sad state of affairs, fellas. Uh, this is what's going on, man. But I mean, it's, it's all the propaganda wars is, is, is all it is. And I think we all know that. We've been around in this and studying enough to know it's the propaganda wars. This is the continuing effort to make a, a right-wing nut job of a candidate so right-wing that somebody that when she was running against Obama in 2008 uh, they were saying that Hillary Clinton was right-wing she wasn't really even a, a Republican she was so right-wing she was so conservative she was so for you know the corporations you mean not a Democrat status quo yeah saying she she's not she wasn't a Democrat the whole Democrat, I mean, that was what they were running, how they ran her out of the out of the race, was saying that she is not a liberal. She's not, you know, to the left. She's, she's not going to do what Democrats want her to do. She's got two so, different perspectives, don't she? Probably. And so that's how they bring in Trump. So Trump comes in, and he's so radical, so over the top, so crazy, that she seems moderate now. But, I mean, that, that being uh, one thing, 
it's just a uh, it's just a sad state of affairs that that we have to see these kind of kind of things take over the the narrative, you know, take take the people's uh, attention away from real issues. Because I mean, these cops will, will be the first ones to be upset at you know say they're not gonna support they're not gonna protect Beyonce at her concerts because she did a right. a concert or did a halftime show where she did an X. Uh, and they was wearing black uniforms, you know, not going to protect Colin uh, Kaepernick because he took a knee during, I mean, you know, so but you can come out and support this dude and it ain't supposed to be no repercussions. I take it as a threat. When I see images like that, that's threatening to me because I know what this man is about and they know what he's about. <clears throat> so yeah, I take that as a threat. And you know, it's, it's, uh, Again, that time, election time, when presidential candidates are talking about how bad crime is, Donald Trump being one of them. Well, recent reports have shown the complete opposite of that. Uh, they just had a report come out recently from Vox. Americans don't know crime is plummeted. In fact, they think it's gone up. We polled Americans about their views on crime. They could not be more wrong. Since 1990s, crime rates in the U.S. has plummeted, with the murder, with murder and violent crime rates dropping by more than half. America, it turns out, has no idea. A new Vox Morning Consult poll measured how nearly 2,000 registered voters perceive crime, both in their neighborhoods and in America more broadly. The poll found that 69% of U.S. voters think there is more crime in the U.S. than there was two decades ago with 43% saying there is much more crime and 26% saying there is somewhat more crime. Broken down into specific crimes, a majority of Americans said there was more violent crime, drug crime, theft, and white-collar crime. And they put this graph here together that shows that there's a huge difference over time as to the uh, rates in crime. I'll read the next paragraph. It says, in reality... Various types of crimes have plummeted based on the official FBI figures. The violent crime rate has fallen by more than half, with the murder rate dropping from 9.8 per 100,000 in 1991 and 8.2 in 1995 to 4.9 in 2015. Rape, robbery, burglar, and theft rates have also all dropped. And it says uh, there aren't good statistics for drug and white-collar crimes. But we do have some good statistics that we'll provide to you just after this story, as a matter of fact. Rates of crime, particularly murder, did go up in 2015 compared with 2014, but only after 2014 saw the lowest level of crime in decades. Americans were, in fact, less likely to say crime had dramatically risen in the past year than they were when comparing crime rates with those of two decades ago. The poll that found that while 69% of voters said that crime has risen in the past year, only 36% there was, said there was much more crime and 33% said there was somewhat more crime compared with one year ago. So apparently Americans have been fooled again into thinking that there has got to be this all-out war on crime when we have not seen this much peace <laughs> since 2001, from, what was it, like 16% down to 4.9%? So, so this is what I'm looking at. It's this, this is the same tactics that have always been used. When you're talking about um, crime, 
Now, for example, you said 2014, some of the lowest in decades. But when when these voters turn on their evening news, it's always leading with a crime. You know what I'm saying? So then they yep. get the newspapers at the little counter at the convenience store about the slammer about uh, and all these people with their mug shots. And, and so, I mean, they read about all of these different crimes that are occurring. It makes it seem like the whole nation, you know, or, or, or whatever group that they want to target. Because then you had the politicians and you had a propaganda from the police unions and, and what have you because they want to stay employed. And so they produce propaganda and they can manipulate local news media in into uh, providing the type of cur- coverage that they want of crime by if something does happen, well, if you don't just uh, uh, publish our uh, press release word for word but under your byline and and so the people don't know it came from us then we won't give you interviews we won't give you access to such and such or or whoever we'll stop doing press conference or you will you'll be banned so i mean it's all it's all of this stuff is called the matrix you know what i'm saying it's that electronic matrix of false news media it's nothing new malcolm x talked about it other people talked about it in terms of newspapers before the advent of electronic media and radio and television and all of that, they still was was in the newspapers of the day, making it seem like it was, oh, all these black folks and it's just criminals, or all of these uh, indigenous native folks deserve killing. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's not surprising to me that so many people are misinformed, and that's why at least um, um, you know, with us, we—that is what our mission is—is is to try to counter that that propaganda that has so many voters misinformed. Word. Hey, Alan. When uh, Scotty is talking, if, if you can mute yourself because that echo is is pretty bad. So yeah, man, it's it's like every election season these. Come, they come along and they tell us how bad crime is, especially when they want to start a big push. And you know, Trump is talking about hiring thousands and thousands and more cops again. And you know, it's the same rhetoric we get over and over again. Reagan, Clinton, Nixon, build more prisons, hire more cops, get rid of more black and brown people. And as a matter of fact, I did say that we had some detailed information and that is the third story I want to share. Well, well, uh, Max, before you do that, let's give Johanan a chance to weigh in on that story. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, it, with with so many of these things, y'all, you know, we tend to be pretty much on the same page. So sometimes when y'all don't hear me say anything, I mean, I'm just nodding my head in agreement with, with you know, with what you're bringing out. I mean, like you said, it's the propaganda wars, and we know that. So, you know, I try not to get too deep into rabbit holes and whatnot, just for the general listener that maybe doesn't want to hear all of this. You know what I what I end up talking about, but it's just people are just not aware sometimes of how symbols and memes and and ideas that you know can just be like in a picture or just like you said the the mug shots, the continuing to show the criminality, the really of, hor- of non. Yeah, of non-white people. I mean, I just, I, I feel, look, if you're listening, in the, you know, anytime in the future or whatever uh, to this program ever, just know 
I'm aware that I sound like a broken record, but the problem is what it is. So, I mean, like I was saying just 10, 15 minutes ago on this same episode, this nation is built on criminality, murder, exploitation. These people are the criminals and the benefactors, the generational benefactors of that criminality. They are not stopping what their masters and forefathers did to get this. They're not changing what they've done. We are this whole program, the entire new abolitionist movement is based on the whole truth of modern day slavery is going on right now. They're still doing what they did in the past to criminalize everybody else and paint themselves is pretty much good when they are the face of crime. They are the face of murder. They are the face of drug abuse. They are the if, if corporate crime was included in the in the stats, it would be I mean, it would be 99% because don't nobody else but white folks pretty much own businesses, so all the corporate crime is theirs. I mean, it's just on and on. But all you got to do to fix that is put a picture of a black teenager with a gun in his hand, show a black teenager that you say raped somebody, show a black teenager that you say stole a car, and everything else is forgotten. Everything else is looked over. Nothing else matters. So you're right. It's a propaganda war. So stick stick to your stick to the fight. As uh, Scotty said, I'll never forget. Pick up your weapon and follow us, because we in the propaganda war. Infantry, follow me. <clears throat> yeah, it's like watching Fox News at one time last year when they had this little boy that we're interviewing, little black little boy, maybe about eight years old, and they were talking about <clears throat> the violence in the streets. Excuse me. And at one point he said he wanted a gun, and they kind of cut it off there. And then we find out later on he, he the whole statement the little boy said was, "I want a gun so I could be a cop and protect my neighborhood or something along those lines." But they cut all that out to make this little eight-year-old boy look like a criminal wanting a gun to go kill people. I and forget. That was hey, there was an activist named uh, her brother Tyrone West was killed. Um, I think that's in Philadelphia, if I'm not sure. It might be Baltimore. I, I interviewed his sister. I can't think of her name, but his name is what you need to know is Tyrone West. So you Google his name. But anyway, she was at a rally, and National Action Network was at this rally too, Al Sharpton and the Acolytes. And, and so, but, you know, she's pretty much led her own campaign and weighing in on these issues. So she's she's recognized as an activist and organizer in Baltimore. And Fox News, they were she was doing like a chant. She, remember she I don't know if y'all remember that story. She was doing like a I remember she, she was on the program she was saying, and she said the saying and I actually interviewed her about that too. But she was saying she has a saying that goes Killer cops belong in cell blocks. Killer cops belong in cell blocks. And they chopped it up to make it sound like she was just saying, killer cops, killer cop, killer cop, killer cop. And that's the the words that they put in there. And that's what they accused her of saying. And um, the news director at that local uh, Fox affiliate got fired behind that, but that was only because it was so obvious and the, and then other people had their own recordings at, of this, you know, but again, that's how deep the propaganda war is. That's that's the kind of war they waging. Yeah, that's some devious stuff right there. And you know, we were talking about the crime rate. Tawanda, uh, I'm sorry, Tawanda West, that's her Tawanda. name. 
Right, right. But yeah, man, uh, we're talking about where the crimes are going. Uh, you know, out in states like Washington and Colorado and even California to a very large degree, marijuana is, is legalized. And it's being sold openly. You got, like Michelle Alexander says, these white men just making millions of dollars selling it. Well, guess what happens to everybody else? Every 25 seconds, cop ar cops arrest someone for drug possession. We're going to tell you about that story as soon as we come back from our break. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Parker, Scotty Reed, and Johanna Elias. We'll be right back after these messages. and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. This article just came out today from The Intercept. The war on drugs may have failed, but it certainly hasn't ended. Every 25 seconds in the U.S., someone is arrested for drug possession. Arrests for the possession and personal use of drugs are boosting the ranks of the incarcerated at astonishing rates, with 137,000 people behind bars for drugs on any given day and 1.25 million per year. Possession of even tiny quantities of illicit drugs is criminalized in every state, a felony in most, and the number one cause of all arrests nationwide. And while marijuana is now legal in a handful of states and decriminalized in others, in 2015, police nationwide made over 547,000 arrests for simple marijuana possession, more than all other categories of violent crime combined. These arrests are feeding people into a criminal justice system that's rife with inefficiencies, abuse, and racism, and compounding drug users, substance abuse with the lifelong impact of a criminal record. The staggering numbers detailed in a report released today by Human Rights Watch and the American Civil Liberties Union shed new light on the colossal impact of the criminalization of drug use, as well as on the discriminatory impact of its enforcement. These laws have done nothing to stem the public health problem of drug addiction and in the process have destroyed countless lives and cost incalculable amounts of public resources in arrests, prosecutions, and incarceration. The report charges. Nearly half a century after it was first launched by President Nixon, the war on drugs has been widely recognized to have been a failure. 
Yet little of substance has been done to reverse this course and the catastrophic damage it continues to inflict. In fact, while piecemeal approaches to fixing some of its symptoms, like sentencing reform, marijuana reclassification, and some discussions of police abuse, have by now been embraced within mainstream politics, the drug war's founding policy, the criminalization of the personal use and possession of drugs, has rarely been questioned. This is a time when marijuana reform is sweeping the country, and yet we haven't asked the question, why do we still criminalize other illicit drugs? Tess Borden, one of the report's authors, told The Intercept, it's a time when we're talking about race and policing, and we show that drug possession is the number one cause of arrest, disproportionately impacting black communities, and yet we're not talking about drug possession reform. In fact, as the discussion of mass incarceration and criminal justice reform has gained ground, public conversations about drugs have also began to change in tone. And there is growing recognition that drug use should be treated as the public health issue it is and not a criminal justice one. There's more to this story. You can read it at New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook. Uh, Johanna, Scotty? Yeah, let me jump in here right quick, Johanna. Um, I pulled up this article first of all let me say a lot of people out there are victims of Nancy Reagan's just say no propaganda program just like from the 30's they always recycle and rinse repeat what they do that's just like what was that film um, came out in the 30's about cannabis I, I forgot what they called the name of that film um, but um, Reefer Madness is the name of that film. Reefer Madness. And if you smoke weed, then you're going to go crazy. It's also going to make you loose as a woman and, and wanting to have sex. And, you know, just ridiculous type of unscientific type crap propaganda. So that's what they did when cannabis was still legal and they wanted to criminalize it. And corporations like newspapers, which own tree farms to produce papers, uh, saw cannabis as a threat because you can that's one of the products you can get from cannabis as well there's so many different strains of cannabis uh you can get paper and so they saw that as a threat and and um wanted to uh criminalize this plant and make it illegal for people to possess but propaganda has has always uh uh been key so there are those who are still under that influence of that propaganda and they come up with illogical arguments. They start talking, making it a moral issue, like something is morally wrong with you if you use drugs or any kind of drugs, but yet they will use any kind of prescription that a doctor writes them to manage their pain and what have you. They, they'll take it, no question. And no morality even doesn't. The doctor said it, so I'm going to take it. Forget what your ancestors and indigenous people have taught you how to use plants that's all around you so you don't have to spend money and, and then get those drugs that'll later have you addicted to heroin when the doctor cuts you off and now you're on the street. Um, um, you know, trading your body for some heroin and, and to be found on the floor of a Walmart turning blue. 
as we've seen those photos from the heroin addiction. So there's still, even with just cannabis, there's still a lot of propaganda out there. People saying that black people, if you want to get rid of racism, you can't be high because it makes you stupid. Just all kind of unscientific stuff to 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 justify not moving to abolish these kind of crimes that aren't really crimes. So what we're dealing with is a loss of liberty and choice for adults. And do I agree it needs regulation? Yes, I agree it needs regulation. But let's just stick to the cannabis. Max said that most of the arrests were for simple possession of marijuana. Let me, I think I'm getting a little feedback. Let me fix that right quick. Um, He said most of those arrests were for simple possession. Now, Washington and Colorado, you can go to newapproachoregon.com. Um, I'm on a page that's talking about the results of legalization of cannabis in Washington and Colorado. So everybody is getting, most of the people is getting arrested for simple possession. All right, we ain't talking about no kingpin drug dealers, or we ain't talking about no Roberto Guzman's or El Chapo or or Tony Montana or nobody Buxy Siegel. We ain't talking about people like we talking about. Most of the new slaves are being made from simple possession of cannabis. So these are the results. Colorado and Washington are already experiencing successful results. Um, excuse me results from their approval of regulated use of cannabis including arrests are down for minor cannabis violations that waste millions of dollars allowing the state to focus their police and resources on preventing serious violent crimes Uh, point two state regulated secured dispensaries are putting drug dealers out of business this has led to a drop in teen use and access and adult use has not increased Traffic fatalities are down in both states. A regulated legal system of cannabis has not caused more traffic deaths in either state. Um, and last point, by taxing a product people were already using, much like beer and wine, programs like schools, drug prevention, and more are receiving much-needed additional funding. Now, let me go to the, some of the numbers in Washington arrests of adults 21 and over for simple possession of cannabis are down. In 2012, the year uh, that it became uh, legal, the last year for arrests for these type of crimes, in 2012, they had 5,531 arrests. In 2013, 120 arrests. And and then it uh, talks about traffic, traffic fatalities, but I don't even want to get to that. Um, uh, revenue is up. Since stores first opened July of 2014, customers have made purchases totaling over 19 million and 200,000. Sales have already generated 4.7 million in new cannabis excise t- tax revenue for the state. So that that's in Washington and and but when you get to Colorado, the numbers really kind of jump out at you when they talk about the arrest because again these arrests are slave catching this is to get you into that pipeline and arrests are down in Colorado so according to data from the Colorado judicial branch the number of cases filed in state court alleging at least one cannabis offense plunged 77% 
between 2012 and 2013. The decline is most notable for charges of petty cannabis possession, which dropped from an average of 714 per month to 133 per month during the same period in 2013, a decline of 81%. And so the arrests that are occurring is like you aren't supposed to be able, if you are an unlicensed um, cannabis grower or, or you know, you run a business and you, you know, are allowed to grow your own, you are allowed to distribute, that means you can sell it without a license. And you're, again, cultivation, that's growing it and what have you. But you can only transport under an ounce. And you can only grow so much. So you're not going to, you know, really be running no big business without a license. But a small time person who has problems or issues with whatever medical issue could grow their own and make a little bit, make a little bit of money. So most of those arrests is people getting caught with over an ounce. You can't, which isn't a whole lot, but still... So the slave catchers gonna try to get you in any way they can to generate revenue. So, but that's still drastic reduction in let's just call it the slave population, and nobody's getting arrested for it or it's significantly down. I don't see how it's logical to argue that we should not work to to not decriminalize it but legalize it. And I'm a, I know I'm talking a lot, and I'm gonna let Johanna jump in here, but um. If you want to take it from experts, people who have put their lives on the line on the wrong side of this issue, on the, and they was slavers and slave catchers and whatnot, former, and now they see the error of their ways and they're trying to change or possibly reform the system. I'm not for reforming, but they are against abolishing all the drug war laws. So that's law enforcement against prohibition. I just got this article, I mean this email from them. I'm a subscriber to them and they said incarcerating US is a new a brand new documentary about the US prison system and the failed war on drugs featuring several law enforcement against prohibition speakers including Neil Franklin, Richard Van Wickler and Eric Sterling. Incarcerating US tells the story of America's broken criminal justice system through the eyes of those who created it those who have suffered through it and those who are fighting to change it after decades of failure now it's the time to unshackle the land of the free so um you know more and more films are coming out and again but we had to be careful with this reform stuff which Max as he was closing out what he was reading from the nation they started talking that reform talk no it's abolition it's abolition let's abolish these these crimes that were put on the book as tools to enslave people and violate uh, people's uh, liberty and freedom so um, yeah but let me go ahead and um, uh, get Johanna in in here Absolutely, man. I mean, Muted. Listen, so just anything that, that unmuted on the books, you know these these uh, this report from ACLU uh, goes in depth talking about you know state to state how there's and, and even in California where they're talking about you know the the legalization or decriminalization of marijuana. It's these the the cannabis charge is one thing. The drug charge of whatever type of drug is one thing itself, but what we started to see was like in California alone, I think there was, I read a number that may have been up to 400 um, enhancements 
that were added to any type of prosecution you know that, that would yeah um lawmakers have since overreacted by passing too many criminal laws along with 400 sentencing enhancements for things like using a gun or being involved in a gang while committing an underlying crime so I mean those are just two of the big ones that stand out but there's so many enhancements 400 sentencing enhancements added to simple misdemeanor would be misdemeanor charges it can make your charge uh, felony and this is how you start seeing numbers like five six seven eight hundred nine hundred thousand people going into all forms of incarceration behind nonviolent drug related offenses when these kinds of when just one state like California can add 400 sentencing enhancements I know when we were talking about Florida a couple of years ago when we first hooked up with George Malincrod and we started looking into Florida <coughs> excuse me and all the people that were dying in custody and how they created their own mortality website for the state prison system and so forth similar situation there the state uh, senate and the state house of Florida were arguing over these enhancements and these multipliers and talking about about how they were doing reform when they had done so much to hyper-criminalize simple possession charges. So abolition being the total end of whatever the thing is that we're, you know, we're against. We're against slavery. We're against this hyper-criminalization. We're against this terrorist policing of, of certain members of the population. And the root of that still comes from the original prohibition prohibition of alcohol. When the Treasury Department lost that fight, you got to understand there was a core of people that were government. I mean, imagine taking the DEA right now. If you if you just ended prohibition of of drugs that are considered illegal right now, just like they ended the prohibition of liquor. That was an entire imagine that as big as the DEA is, as prevalent as it is in the government as many agents as there are, as many agencies and inner workings and as, as much influence as they have in different capacities of our society, all those people not having a job overnight, all the years that they've worked, the, the people that grew up watching movies, grew up going to school, going to college, went to the military, built all these relationships, got into it because they want to go fight the war on drugs. And then overnight, it was gone. This exact same thing has already happened in America with the liquor prohibition. There were people that grew up, that's what they wanted to do, was fight the, the gangsters, fight the Capones, fight the, the mafia, stop the massacres, go in and stop all this war and all this fighting that was going on, bringing the, the liquor across the, the Canadian borders and all this type of stuff we've seen in the movies and romanticized. These were real people that this was their job. So when that ended overnight, all those people did not have a job. Harry Anslinger was the leader of the Treasury Department's Narcotics Bureau. The Narcotics Bureau came as a result of the end of the Liquor Prohibition Bureau. This man instantly had to find something else to do. Narcotics was only being used by a small percentage of the population, like 2% of all people could even afford or even know where to get something like this but there was a relatively large number of Latinos and black folks as well as obviously white folks that smoked marijuana so this man instantly turned himself from the prohibition fight of liquor to the fight against drugs and focused specifically on blacks and Latinos and put out a propaganda war campaign like you said Reefer Madness that movie that was him behind that when you talk about soliciting 
medical professionals and asking them to give him horror stories about people that have overdosed on marijuana, that have committed crimes off of marijuana, that lose their minds on marijuana. He couldn't get any medical professionals to come back and say anything of that sort. This is a matter of record. What he did find, though, when he starts soliciting law enforcement officers, who themselves no longer had the same kind of jobs they had because they wasn't enforcing the liquor control laws no more either. Everybody need a paycheck. They start telling him about all the crime that's resulting from people smoking weed, people murdering each other off marijuana. This is real headlines from back in those years. You can look this up for yourself. They were, they were sensationalizing cannabis use as being the cause for murder, for insanity, for degeneracy of all the imaginable forms, and it was all Latinos and black folks. So there you go. Let's go get all them people. Let's outlaw these drugs, and we've never looked back. We've never looked back. Indeed, brothers. You know, I got some good news for you guys. I think it's something that not only would you like hearing, but also our listeners will really uh, appreciate hearing. You probably already know it. I think it was Scotty that might have put it in the planning uh, page. But it's from Senator Lena C. Taylor. Was that you, Scotty, who put up the senator from Wisconsin uh, who spoke openly about legalized slavery in Wisconsin? No, that that was me, Max. I found that it. Was you. Yeah, that's a that was, that was a good story, though. Absolutely. Dude, why don't you you want to take a minute and since you pulled it out and share that story with our audience? Oh, sure. This is, again, sure. This is powerful right here. I don't think I've heard a senator speak of it in this way, so it's groundbreaking. And I believe that at yeah. some point we're all going to come to the same conclusion. We were telling people about Wisconsin as Ferguson and broke down its constitution uh, over a year ago. And apparently it's gotten to this senator, and now she's doing something about it, just like every senator in every state should be doing something about it. And it's not that difficult. It's a matter of legislation at that point. So, Johanna? Yeah, this is uh, from, I found this in the Milwaukee Courier. Um, this is uh, from Senator Lena C. Taylor. Uh, and the, the article is just her op-ed says uh, legalized slavery in Wisconsin. So that's what caught my eye. Um, and this is her this is her words, presumably. It says uh, there's no uh, <clears throat> excuse me. There is absolutely no compelling reason for the state of Wisconsin to allow slavery. Period. But did you know slavery is still allowable under Wisconsin law as long as it's punishable for a crime? Not if I have anything to say about it. Next legislative session, I'm reintroducing my slavery ban. So that indicated to me that she had already put something like this out there before. I need to look it up and find where her original introduction of this was. But at any rate, my ban would eliminate the last 15 words of Article 1, Section 2 of Wisconsin's Constitution. There shall be neither slavery nor involuntary man, uh, involuntary man, sorry, involuntary servitude in this state. This is also federal law. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States. On Friday, October 7th, Netflix released a documentary called The 13th to highlight the growth of black prison population and to remind us all that slavery is still possible in America. I don't care what you do or who you are, nobody deserves a life of enslavement. Nobody gets to own another person. I hope we can all agree on that. In practice, this amendment allows our prisons to exploit incarcerated individuals and force them to work without pay. Now, I need to be clear on one thing. 
Wisconsin's Department of Corrections does not currently use slave labor, but they could, and they would be fully within their legal rights to do so. I tend to disagree with her on that, but we will put together the information and, and approach her with evidence to the contrary. What does it say about our society that we still allow slavery? It makes me sick. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And when I get angry, I do something about it, on and on and on. She says a constitutional amendment will have to pass the next two legislative sessions, and when it can appear, and then it can appear on the 2020 ballot where the people of Wisconsin would get to have their say and vote no on slavery. She says, I know that's a long time, but the problem of mass incarceration isn't getting any better. It's a problem that deeply affects our community. Uh, the zip code 53206 is the most heavily incarcerated zip code in America, and 62% of our adult men have spent time behind bars, so it's on us to put, put an end to hatred in our laws. Despite making up only 13% of the total U.S. population, Americans constitute 37% of the population in the prisons, so that means the chance of being enslaved disproportionately impacts the black community. Um, and that's not the only thing. We also are over-policed, pulled over at higher rates, subjected to searches at higher rates, and die at the hands of police at higher rates. We're overcharged, though white folks use drugs at five times the rates of, black, of the black community. We are charged with drug offenses at ten times that rate. We are over-sentenced. Studies show that black people on average serve the same amount of time in prison for a drug offense that a white person does for a violent offense. So violent offenses compared to drug offenses. We get more time still. Wisconsin doesn't currently enslave its prisoners. Again, I believe that she might not be uh, correct on that. But we do pay them often just pennies per hour of work. So she's admitting that they are paying them slave wages, which all slavery was not free labor. Plenty of slaves during the 1800s and before bought their freedom with slave wages. So she, she still needs, I mean, uh, hey, welcome to the abolitionist movement, sister. We appreciate you. Come on in and let's, let's uh, break this down and get a little deeper into it. Let's be real. Somebody's getting rich off of this, and it isn't us. Passing a con constitutional amendment won't solve the racism and bigotry of the system. There's still more black men in prison today than there were slaves in 1850, but it is a start. If you're interested in learning more about the 13th Amendment as being, and how it's being abused by prisons to create a slave labor force, check out the documentary, The 13th. Uh, and then she just goes on to kind of endorse some other things. But like you said, groundbreaking commentary from a, from a, a sitting elected official. i got to give her kudos, so salute to you. Senator Lena C. Taylor. So I just want to say this, and um, um, before we hear back from Max, I want to say this. See, this is how I know the propaganda war that we are waging is working. So that's all I got on that. I just got a salute for her, man. And I'm looking forward to more and more saying the same thing. We have to change our minds. She has decided this is slavery, and it's clear that it's slavery. It says it in our Constitution, it's in our laws, or you can see it in action, and she has come to that conclusion. And because of that, her mind has changed, and she's treating it like a different beast now. You know, uh, mass incarceration by miscalculation and slavery by design cannot share the same cognitive space as equals. You just can't do that. It's two separate beasts. One is on purpose, the other is a mistake. Pick one. She's apparently picked that it is on purpose. The proof shows her that. So kudos to her, man. Salute. I would love to meet her personally or even have her here on New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, Senator, you are invited to join us here, and we'll be reaching out to you soon. I did put Wisconsin is 
Ferguson, the report that comes from New Abolitionist Radio up on our page, if anybody would like to see what they're dealing with in Wisconsin and why she would come to such a conclusion. I mean, again, we were just talking about David Clark earlier. So he right. is uh, the sheriff, the uh, proxy right. racist sheriff of Wisconsin, well, Milwaukee the County. Democrat sheriff. Yeah, with Milwaukee County. Yeah, the Democrat. Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a Democrat. Stumping, stumping for, the, for the Republicans. Exactly, exactly. But he does that because he knows black folks tend to blindly vote for Democrats. So he's a dishonest person right there that shows his dis- dishonesty and what have you. So he, in his county, Milwaukee County, Wisconsin, has the highest rates of incarceration or re-enslavement of black males. We got a caller who calls in from that county um, um, who, who you know, has been enslaved himself. And he will attest to, you know, the, the, um, the slave catching that they are facing, the black community is facing under a black slaver. You know, I, I, man, it's, it's just, man, it just makes me shake my head head in frustration um, but I wonder if she is the senator for that same if her district includes his county it got to the way she was describing the numbers well you know in Wisconsin the black population is only 6.5% but the incarceration rates are 10 to 1 I mean just put that in perspective you got a pie you got a little thin slice of 6.5%, right? And you pull that little piece of pie out. Now you got this whole other pie over there that's predominantly uh, white people. Now, you start taking bites out of the little pie, pie. Take 10 bites out of that and one bite out of the big one. That's how it's going on. I mean, they are hunting people there. In Milwaukee County, uh, one more than one out of two black men before the age of 30 are expected to spend time in prison and do more than one in two with only a 6.5% representing of the population damn shame man well that's what we're here for like Sky said we're winning this propaganda war and we're costing them millions while we're doing it uh, so let's keep keep it going keep it going and eventually we will get them out of this nation forever and end slavery forever in the United States of America and what, what a happy day that will be when not only would you see your people coming out of those jail cells who were innocent all along but you can walk the streets with no fear of being hunted again like cattle and then being held like property and worked like slaves and abused and killed and brutalized while you're in there. We don't want any more Khalif routers. Hmm. Something that I want to to uh, hit on too, I know we kind of transitioned into uh, the senator's uh, abolitionist declaration there, and, and but we have been on that ACLU report. I just want to let the listeners know, you know, uh, this is a serious uh, piece of science here. Like, when we get the DOJ reports, unfortunately, after somebody else gets murdered extrajudicially by the police, and there's an investigation, and then the police get off, or there's no charges filed or whatever, then the DOJ jumps in, and then we get a report later on. Those are those are the tools. Those are some of the tools that we have available to us to use 
hundreds and hundreds of hours of interviews to use hundreds and even thousands of individual cases to map out a lay of the land like Scotty mentioned the matrix if you remember it got to a point in that movie the matrix if you've seen it where he wasn't just seeing the numbers he could see the shapes that the numbers were forming that's you begin to see what the information is actually telling you you can see the landscape more clearly and this ACLU report is something that it is very important that you go through even if you're just scanning through the pages, if you can read it deeply and study it and follow all of the the, uh, the links and the studies and the information and investigate all these people and these cases that they talk about, it's a 200-page report. you got enough information in this one report right here to refute every racist, right-wing, Fox News, whatever, cop-supporting, Apologist, Blue Lives Matter, race card calling, whatever kind of non-believer slavery denier, you can refute everything that we all hear them say every day if you would just take time to read and study some of this information. The numbers in this are incredible. And all it does is supports everything we've been saying on this podcast for several years. They're up to 99% now. They said in this report... In 2009, which is the year this most recent uh, for national data that's available, more than 99% of people convicted of drug possession in the 75 largest counties across America pled guilty to a plea. People, that is that is like... I can't even explain to you how insane that is. You have a constitutional right to a trial. These people are pleading guilty more than 99% of the time just to get a plea deal because they cannot See, afford to be yeah. persecuted by this system. Yeah, Johanna, we got to run, run a break and uh, want to make sure we get in our other segments. But uh, th just to your point, though, See, when you plead, you don't even give an abolitionist like me a chance in the jury box. You're not giving us right. abolitionists a chance. Remember with the um, what was it the um, um, what was the the law that um, um, what was it the fugitive slave act? I'm sorry, the fugitive uh -huh. slave right. act. Right, that was part of the Underground Railroad. Was people would not enforce it. Right, they wouldn't when these abolitionists would get put on trial for helping victims of slavery escape, and the people who got picked on the jury would not convict them. All it takes is one person, and that's a hung jury, and the state will have to go through retrying you again. So just think of all the 99% of these people stop taking plea deals and say, I'm, going, I'm just going to go to court. And then for us who get on these juries and will stop trying to get out of jury duty, Let's let's tell these people what they want to hear. Get in that jury box, occupy the jury box, and then vote not guilty on these victimless drug crimes. So so that that is very important uh, that we bring that up. But Max, you want to take us to break? Yes, sir. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Parker, Scotty Reed, and Hunter Nalaya here on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back after. Not a writer. Okay. Uh, 
hood news, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio, where we're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. Uh, we share quite a bit with you today. Scotty and Johanna, you guys uh, were talking about the report. Uh, any more you want to put out of that? No, I didn't have anything. And just, again, just encourage people just to read it. And we'll put the link up. Well, I can't post anything on Facebook because someone got angry with me, so I'm banned for 30 days. But maybe uh, if we could continue to, to remind people where they can find it and just find it on the New Abolitionist page, I'm sure one of you guys can post it. Uh, the BTR group, blacktalkradionetwork.com is the website, the social media group that we already have that's up and that's, doing fine. Hey, you can find uh, it in there. Hey, that's btrcommunity.com. Mm-hmm. So definitely, though, just reading the report, I mean, the numbers are... are Shocking, and what we do with abolitionism is—is is if it was just one person that needed to be set free, if it was just one person we was trying to do this for, I would still be here. I'm sure you two would still be here. People would still be advocating if it was just one person. But we're talking about a couple million people. It's just shocking to me these numbers that that are in this report, and this is all telling you factual, scientific evidence. So please read it. It's even more than a couple million. 13 million are in jail every year. 2.5 million in the prisons. 8 million under supervision. I don't know how many juveniles are in juvenile detention centers at this moment, but I know that 2 million are arrested a year, or most of them for the same reason that the adults are arrested for. The numbers are staggering. At the height of slavery, when slavery was allegedly abolished, only 4 million people were given their freedom. We have so much more than that going on right now. Right now, just in this country alone. It's terrible. It's crimes against humanity is what it is, and it has to end, and not tomorrow. You know, people ask me what drives me. They don't, I don't think they understand. I've seen more death and destruction in my life than my last five or ten grandfathers combined. None of them have seen what I've seen here at such a level. Watching this death and destruction and snuff films every single day of my life, it changes you. And it makes you realize that every second that we don't end this, somebody else died. Three people were killed by police today. You don't know their names. That's the average. Three people a day. Seven people in jail. Twelve people in the prisons. Every day we let this go by, someone else innocent was dead. And it's our fault. We have to change this together. So that's what drives me, because I know every second costs somebody their life. Well, we're coming up to our 20 minutes before the end of our program, and we still got our two segments left. Uh, I was uh, able to find us a 21st century modern uh, underground railroad rider. And I'm pretty sure Scotty has an abolitionist in profile. Is there any stories that you guys want to cover uh, 
before we uh, move on to those segments. Oh, and I did want to mention that we're going into the fifth week of the National Prison Slave Labor Strike. And because of this now, the DOJ is investigating the conditions again in Alabama. Well, I had saw one story. I didn't post it, but you guys had posted the story about the guards or the prisoner guards feeling empathetic at that one prison and joined in the strike. What's that? What was that story about? Holman uh, Prison. I guess I, you didn't post it, or Johanna didn't post uh, it. Well, I had heard about I, I at Holman Prison, but it I seemed it like. But I put it last week, I believe. Uh, apparently, the guards, the prison guards in Alabama, out where the uh, Free Alabama Movement is at a 200% capacity right now, decided that they would join the striking uh, prisoners. And we spoke about this last week on the Revolutionist Radio. Uh, so they took off from work, didn't show up, and it uh, reached a point where the warden himself had to run around feeding prisoners because there were no guards there to do it. So even the guards now are joining the fight and the strike. Okay. Well, if there's no um, Underground Railroad rider picked out for this week, I'll go ahead and go into uh, my abolitionist and profile. Um, let me um, uh, check with Johanna because I've been trying to mute. You know, you're aware I'm trying to mute and stop the uh, interference, however that's happening. So, Johanna, did you have anything? Um, just in terms of what, what you all were talking about with the prison strike, um, it just <clears throat> what I posted today with that is just a continuing story from that. When the originally when the guards stepped down or didn't come in, it was uh, I think nine or ten guards didn't come to the one prison. And so uh, it was just more interesting information talking about how they were working with that, bringing in guards from other prisons. And then they still had the next week, you know, this past week, they still had all those same guys didn't come back to work. So they're trying not to admit that there's an issue there. But it also went into talking about this week how they're they're revealing how anyone that's being identified as the leaders or the organizers of the strikes in these prisons are being removed from the prisons and put into solitary. And then people that are a uh, part of actually striking are being dispersed into other other locations. Hey, that so, just so again. I think this is it. Yeah, that's just rinse and repeat history. So we know when yeah. enslaved Africans were brought here, the troublesome ones were isolated and and put into solitary confinement, separated mm -hmm. from the rest of them. And if it was a crowd of rebellious ones, well, we'll just send, sell you off to different plantations and what have you. So that it's the same concept, the same tactic what they're doing to prevent this. But uh, yeah. um, a radio host on Cold Breakers last night. Uh, said that he had not seen not one report on the mainstream about the prison strikes and he thought it had been going on for months but I was like no it hasn't been months yet but interesting to note you know you haven't seen any mainstream coverage so uh, anyone out there if you want to find out more information on these reports if you're on social media just use the social media hashtag two of them prison strike and or prison strikes with a S on the end. Both of those social media hashtags will pull up uh, alternative independent media and from abolitionists themselves posting videos of themselves outside of these uh, plantations in support of those victims on the inside. They said part two of it is starting 
Part two is starting October 15th as well. Uh, more or, more has been organized, more prisons have been added, and they're going into a phase two stage October 15th. We've got to do this together, people. They're working on the inside to bring this to light, and we're working on the outside. We need your help. We need you to start doing what that senator did, what congressmen across the country are doing, and what uh, you know everybody you can imagine is starting to do. And this 13th film is waking a lot up to the cause. As I said earlier in the beginning of the program, Rutgers University is having a gathering of its attorneys there. <laughs> and they're going to be reviewing this film. Hopefully I get a chance to come down there and speak to these attorneys. Mm -hmm. We need your help. Everybody needs your help because it ain't just for us or for them. It's for everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to go into our abolitionist profile so we'll still have room left for any commentary. Um, what what do we yeah we we still have uh, uh, some times left here so uh, let me go ahead Langston John, John Mercer Langston is our abolitionist in profile he was born in 1829 and um, uh, transitioned in 1897 so I'm not gonna play my music or anything uh, but I'm just gonna uh, read this profile to you that comes from blackpass.org that's blackpass. Org. They got a group of black abolitionists uh, and um, a wealth of information. So um, John Mercer Langston was the youngest of four children. He was born a free black person in Louisa County, Virginia in 1829. See, again, there we go. I, I try to tell people that everybody wasn't enslaved that there were free black people and they were abolitionists trying to help the people who looked like them who were enslaved. So, you know, let, let's just not have this narrow view to where we're cutting people out. But anyway, Langston gained distinction as an abolitionist, politician, and attorney. Despite the prominence of his slave owner father, Ralph Quarles, Langston took his surname from his mother, Lucy Langston, an emancipated a victim of slavery of Indian and black ancestry. When both parents died of unrelated illnesses in 1834, five-year-old Langston and his older siblings were transported to Missouri, where they were taken in by William Gooch, a friend of Ralph Quarles. At 14, Langston began his studies at the preparatory department at Oberlin College, known for its radicalism and abolitionist politics. Oberlin was the first college in the United States to admit black and white students. Langston completed his studies in 1849, becoming the fifth African-American male to graduate from Oberlin's uh, collegiate department. In 1854, Langston married Caroline Matilda Wall, an emancipated enslaved African from North Carolina. She and Langston had remarkably similar backgrounds. Both had been born into, now see that's contradictory. He can't be born into slavery and then be born free. So there was a mistake there. There's a contradiction there. But it says both had been born into slavery and were freed by their slave-owning fathers who provided for them financially. Once freed and sent north, they were able to obtain an education. When Wall was a young girl, she and her sister Sarah were sent to Ohio by their father, Colonel Stephen Wall. Under the guardianship of a wealthy family, friend and sisters were brought up in an affluent Quaker household. Light Langston, Caroline Wall also attended Oberlin, graduating in 1856. In 1855... 
Um, he was elected to the town clerk of Brownhelm Township in Ohio, becoming the first black elected official in the state. In addition to his law practice and activities as town clerk, Langston and his brothers Gideon and Charles participated in the Underground Railroad. John Mercer Langston caught the attention of Frederick Douglass, who encouraged him to deliver anti-slavery speeches. That's that propaganda, the spoken word. During the Civil War, Langston recruited black volunteers for the Massachusetts 54th Infantry Regiment. Uh, that's the uh, regiment featured in the movie Glory. Uh, that's officially the country's first African-American military unit. Um, there were actually two other ones. I've talked about them last week. One in raised in a field um, of uh, emancipated victims of slavery in South Carolina, then another one in Missouri. But the but the uh, uh, so-called honest Abe Lincoln wrote those field commanders and told him he didn't have no told them they didn't have a right to free any enslaved Africans and certainly not create any kind of regiment and training them to be fighting in a you know blue uniform and and so they were disbanded. So I just want to add that history fact. But officially, the Massachusetts 54th Infantry Regiment is officially the country's first African-American military unit. Um, and then I would question that if we go back to the uh, American Revolution. Uh, in 1868, Langston moved to Washington, D.C. to help establish the nation's first law school at Howard University. He became, so his legacy still around. He became his first dean and served briefly as an acting president of Howard in 1872 and 1877. President Rutherford B. Hayes appointed Langston U.S. Minister to Haiti. He returned to the U.S. in 1885 and became president of Virginia Normal and Collegiate Institute, which is now Virginia State University. Uh, in 1888, I'm about to wrap it up. In 1888, John Mercer Langston ran for a seat in Congress as an independent against a white Democrat opponent. The election results were contested for 18 months. Langston was finally declared the winner and served the six remaining months of his term. He lost his re-election bid in 1890. Partly because of his prominence, the Oklahoma Territory town of Langston and the college created in the town, Langston University, were named after him. John Mercer Langston died in Washington, D.C. on November 15th, 1897. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes John Mercer Langston. Dude, there was a statement you said or read there that just the the horrors that was wrapped up in that one sentence. They were freed by their slave owning fathers. Just think about the depravity and the the the, the perversion and the demonology and it just think of that. One sentence and everything that's wrapped up in it. <laughs> Salute, brother. So uh, we got enough time to go into our final statements. Um, Johanna, you want to go first this time, bro? Let me uh, unmute you. Sure, I'll go. I'll make it quick. <clears throat> this is what I was saying all the time, and this even goes with Max just said, as far as just the, the depravity, you know, of what we're dealing with. This is from uh, Dr. Amos Wilson. This is a, a quote of his. White Americans have a criminal history. They have had a criminal nation. They have a criminal nation. The nation is built on criminality and murder and exploitation. 
and raping people and creating an entire new race of them and then setting them free from slavery. He didn't say that idea. It's a part of their collective psyche. The United States is a mafia government. No one has done more damage and degradation and murder, rape, and robbery than Europeans. Therefore, in order to escape confrontation with their true criminal nature, they must accuse others of being criminals, what we call projection. They must become obsessed with the criminality of other people, and black people become those other people. You call Indians savages so you can behave toward them savagely. That's the function of stereotyping. If I call you a criminal, then I can treat you criminally. I don't owe you justice. In fact, shooting you in the street is justice. We know you're already a criminal. Why should we bother to take you to trial? Like we said, 99% of folks are just pleading guilty so they can get out of jail and go back to their families as soon as possible. Peace to the abolitionists. Death to these oppressors. So I just want to close out by saying that every week for four years now we have come on and we've shared stories with you straight from the even sometimes mainstream headlines and we share a lot of information with you we have brought uh, college professors on attorneys of the year in their states and all who have agreed with the assessment that the 13th amendment did not abolish slavery and it is time that we keep confronting this myth whether it's in social media or our personal conversations when people talk about Lincoln and the Spielberg don't you know come on you have to question them getting their history from a movie that is not historically correct and haven't read a book or haven't you know, searched out this information. So, so, but every week we come on and there is just no way somebody that is logical can tell me after reviewing all the facts and the history and connecting the dots all the way up to present day, you can't convince me that slavery was abolished and it's over when it's just repeat and rinse, rinse and repeat. So if you confront it with this information, again, like I think one of the abolitionists in profile or we was talking about somebody said it in the 1800s, you know, you can't be lukewarm on this. You either uh, abolitionist or you on the side of slavery because that's what apathy is. Slavery is not going to end itself. And so don't sit around and wait to become one yourself or one of your family members before you do something to abolish it. So in slavery. I'm in agreement with both my brothers here, and I'll add. I'm sorry, man. I cut you off. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in agreement with my brothers, and I will add this for my final statements for this evening. When you don't know what slavery really is, then I guess it's easy to use it as a metaphor for just about anything. Low wages, that's slavery. Long hours at work, slavery. Student debt, that's slavery. Household debt, slavery, but kidnapping people in the street, putting them in cages, and then using them as stock collateral in a half a trillion dollar a year legalized flesh peddling industry. Well, that isn't slavery, it's an error in judgment. Using those same cage humans to create goods, products, and services sold on the open market, well, that isn't slavery either. either. It's insourcing. See, words have power over us, they shape the thoughts and by doing so, shape your being. That's why it's called spelling. So let's use two new words these days, abolition and slavery. And remember that abolition is the reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace.
Peace, brothers. Rise up, 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 just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when